Because if you have an outdoor pet bird, you don't anymore. <laughs> like you don't have a pet bird. <laughs> that bird gone. That's gone. He's, he's out. He's he's just a bird. Welcome to We Should Know Better, the podcast where we hitchhike our way through Wikipedia. I am your host tonight, Tim, and with me as always are my special agents. Oh, uh, I am Agent Kyle. I'm Agent Sky. That really does sound like a code name. Yeah. It kind of does, really the way, especially cool. the way you said it. Yep. Agent Sky. <laughs> With like kind of like a sky, like I'm kind of lying, like that's not my name. <laughs> this will work, I think. I'm a good spy. <laughs> I trust him, but not enough to think that he might be a spy. He's not nice. suave enough. Mm. He's getting so by. Suave. Anyway, what we do here is uh, I suggest one page on Wikipedia and Kyle and Sky using the links found within uh, those pages will link from page to page. Uh, to get to a goal destination that I will give them. So tonight we are going from slide whistle oh. <laughs> to Miss Moneypenny. How? Oh, nice. How did I not know there was a page for slide whistle? Like, that seems like something we should have visited already. Uh, it's actually, yeah, that's actually the reason why I am starting here tonight is I was thinking of what we should do and I was like, have we ever been to slide whistle? Oh, wonderful. <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's real good. We have well to we have to correct this. <laughs> uh, so and the reason I went to Miss Money Penny cuz it has penny in it and a penny whistle. Oh, clever. it's a very loose connection. But one that is still there. And uh it's also um an excuse to uh subject you to the uh test tonight as you goes first. Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, so, as you guys know, the penny whistle is one of uh, the world's greatest instruments mm. uh, used in a very famous song. Uh, you're not going to listen to that song tonight. What song? Hold on. What? Uh, the, uh, my Heart Will Go On, of course. The what? The Wait, Titanic what? song. That has a slide whistle in it? No, That's it has a, a slide... penny whistle. Oh, a penny whistle. Oh, okay. So I'm, combining, say... I'm combining slide whistle and money penny to penny whistle. Because that would be a much different song. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a wonderful song. Uh, but I have I was looking around YouTube and I found a uh, channel mm. called well, it's it's not called Poopy Flute, uh-huh. um, but replace the poopy with um, the equivalent S word. Yes. And uh, you'll have the channel. Uh, so I'm going to play a song uh, from this channel. Uh, they are, they cover um, well known songs from pop culture and movies oh, with uh, with poopy flute, <laughs> and uh, I want uh, the first one who can identify the song will get to go tonight. Oh, so boy. two caveats on this: one, the sooner one of you names this, the sooner I can stop the song. Oh, thank God! Two, if neither of you can name it, I'll have to choose another song. So what I'm saying is, please name the song. Uh, <laughs> you guys ready? Let's do it. Let's get this going. Oh my gosh. Uh, 
um, Come From a Land Down Under. What's the name of that song? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. What is the name? Ow, I actually ow. can't hear you over the song. <laughs> but I think I heard one of you say it. It was Sky. Sky said it. Oh, thank God, Sky. What did you say, is that, Sky? Is that the name of it? I like Land no Down idea. Under? Yes, okay. you're correct. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> that was so painful. Okay. <laughs> how, did, how did that hurt so much? It does. It just hurts really bad. And I'm sorry, guys. Oh but I gosh. didn't have any other tests, and it's all I could do. I, I, I apologize to our listeners. <laughs> um, oh, it was amazing. There were other ones there. There's like they have Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, of course. They have wow. Bad Romance. They have uh, Take on Me. Oh, wow. It's it's bad, guys. It's really bad, but in a good way. I, that's that circles all the way back to bad. <laughs> I could see that working out. Yes. All right. So, okay. Sky, thank you. You get to go first tonight. Uh, so we're talking about the slide whistle, also known as the swanee, swanee whistle, lotus flute, piston flute, or jazz uh-oh. flute. Holy cow. Usually jazz. when I hear hmm. jazz flute, I do not envision a slide whistle. No, I envision uh, yeah, anchor man on top of tables. That's right. Wow. wow. A, um, a piston flute makes it sound very like I action-y. really like piston flute. Uh, like, the piston flute is the side whistle when uh, you're doing industrial music. Yeah, that's like the steampunk version of. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I like it. <laughs> it's a wind instrument consisting of a fipple. Yeah, fipple. like a recorders and a tube with a piston in it. There you go. I mean, thus that's... it has an air reed, <laughs> like some Ooh. woodwinds, but varies the pitch with the slide. The construction <laughs> is rather like a bicycle pump. This is the best description of anything. <laughs> like it's. <laughs> It's so it's like it's written by like four different people. Yeah. Yeah. Because the air column is cylindrical and open at one end and closed at the other. It overblows the third harmonic. <laughs> just I and mean, also just so the, the people at home uh, understand the, the fipple is the <laughs> part of a recorder or a slide whistle that you blow into. It's that tapered end with a little hole in it. Gotcha. Wow. Yep. I mean, overblowing the third harmonic, that's basically a Saturday for me. That's really not that. You <laughs> yeah. know. I, I don't want to hear about I blew, that. I blew the third harmonic again. Uh, the modern slide whistle is perhaps most familiar and it's used as a sound effect uh, or, and can suggest something rapidly ascending or falling or when a player hits a bankrupt on Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> Is that what that, that that's not, not that as sound, in though, or it? as, you know, like as an example is or when a player hits a bankrupt. Yeah, those are the two um, examples, Sky. Those are that's it. Those are the only places. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. a slide whistle, though, is it? I don't think that is. Oh yeah, on, on Wheel of Fortune. Is it? On Wheel of oh, Fortune yeah. is yeah. It goes. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Good job. Thank uh, you. Yeah. Was I was trying to improvise effort. slide whistle. Let's go back to at least 1840. It's pretty crazy. Is that? <laughs> wait. Can so you imagine a, <laughs> a time before a slide whistle? No. Can you imagine that this is that old? <laughs> I I can't imagine that anyone would think it would ever be any older than that. Oh man. Okay. Hold on. So it oh was, my gosh, this page is just ridiculous. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. It's a wonderful oh, page. I was just I was just reading. It was manufactured. Like someone just came up with the idea for this. Mm-hmm. Like. Like they were like, you know what would be great is if you took a whistle and then and then uh, built it rather like a bicycle pump with a, a cylindrical air column. So it overblows the third harmonic. Yeah. Is it going to blow the third harmonic that way, though? <laughs> yes. And it'll be great. Yes. 
What? Oh They're slide saxophones. No, that's nice. not a thing. That's not no. a real thing. How okay, just a second, guys. Just a Hold second. On. I'm going to blow your minds. <laughs> so this whole thing is describing the slide whistle as similar to a bicycle pump. Uh-huh. But the slide whistle, they say, was created in 1840. But the bicycle pump, they say, was created around 1887. 18 what? 1887. Oh, my God. 47 oh. years later. So we should be saying that bicycle pumps more resemble slide whistles. What Hold you're on, saying is so there's a time traveler. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so brought wait, the slide so whistle back in time with him. Yeah. And, and someone was like, wait, you know, this slide whistle thing, I bet. I bet if you work this, like if you work this out with like a hose on it, you could probably pump up bicycle tires with this. But won't it blow the third harmonic? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it will. We must go back and prevent the third harmonic from being overblown. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best Doctor Who episode. <laughs> it's a little iffy, if you ask me. All right, I uh, went man, and found this is so slide sloppy. saxophones. Oh, go on. It talks about uh, Paul Hesse Tristich. Tri tri I don't know. He's one of the founding members of the, of the uh, Hoosier Hotshots. And it says that oh, he played this with great dexterity. And then they, it says they made many recordings. Mm. There's like no citation. It's just like, yeah, they, they, ma they made a lot of recordings. That's or what you should know about them. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even have a link to any of the recordings because they I would love songs. to hear them. Nope. Fred Schneider oh. of the B-52s played a plastic toy slide whistle in live performances of the song Party Out of Bounds as a prop for the song's mm. drunken partygoer theme in place of the trumpet thus used in the studio. Great. <laughs> okay. Oh, what were you going to say? I I was just going to say that I, I, found, I found the slide saxophone, you guys. It's a real thing. That It looks like... Man, I don't even know how to describe it. It's not like a... It's not like a bicycle pump. You know what? I'll just send it to you guys because there's no way to... I guess, I guess it is rather like a bicycle pump. Hang on. Everything is now like a bicycle pump. Rather. How far down does the bicycle pump rabbit hole go? <laughs> it. This is a pretty great uh, video, though. And... Uh, oh, my gosh. The face this guy is making is yeah. also pretty great. It, it's actually oh kind of cool. Yeah, actually, it does just it look almost, like a bicycle pump. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds more like vocals, like a weird like video game vocal. Like I feel like I'm you know, playing like a green oh, time right now. It yeah, sounds kind of like, like Zora. <laughs> like Zora's domain or something. It sounds kind of like a mix between a theremin and a didgeridoo. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Tim, that's perfect. That is perfect. Thank you. Oh my gosh, you're good at. at Improvising slide whistles and describing slide saxophones. I guess I guess I found my uh, my forte. Oh, uh, that was not right. a pun. Mm. Uh, wow, wow. It, hold on. So, <laughs> in 2011, the slide whistle has enjoyed something of a revival. Did it? Um, there should absolutely be a citation needed in that. <laughs> <laughs> With top session players such as Sidna. McPhail guesting on a host of top-selling pop albums. I almost said pop albums, which, again, we know <laughs> well, he has, hey. he's done, and he yep. may have used a slide whistle. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, Gregorian chanting with slide whistles? 
That'd be pretty great. <laughs> I'd be into it. Huh. Okay. I'm looking oh, up the Seedna McPhail uh, individual. You should actually be looking up the Hoosier Hotshots. Oh, wait. Hold on. They have a page. Mm -hmm. I, okay. The Hoosier Hotshots were an American quartet. Uh who entertained on stage, screen, radio, and records from the mid-1930s to 70s. They performed in Indiana. Oh, wow. That, okay. I'm not even going to describe it, but they have, or I'm not even going to go down the page, but they have everyone around here, and it's like, it's like an old-timey, like, radio show in this photo. You, you, got, you guys got to look this up, too. I'm sorry. It's pretty great. Cool. I I am not really finding much. I'm searching uh, Sidney McPhail slide whistle. Uh, I see one article uh, in all caps. It says Irish music sees sudden increase in slide whistle, <laughs> uh, as if it's a warning. <laughs> and then um, something else with the headline: an error occurred. Dash timeline of world history. Oh no! You're right. There was a time traveler. I told you. Oh my Someone gosh! <laughs> sliders. That's what sliders oh, is. Oh my gosh. Well done, Tim. All right, Sky, where are you taking us away from slide whistles? Right. It says here to fans of 1970s BBC children's television, the instrument will always be associated with the voices of the clangers. Another great sentence in here. <laughs> like, okay, no, no citation. But yeah, sure. That's very assumptive and not very helpful. What is uh, the game Swanee Kazoo? The game of Swanee Kazoo. Yeah, I don't know. In the long-running radio panel game, I'm sorry I haven't a clue. Oh, it's beautiful. That's a very British name for a... Wait, wait, don't tell me. A, a panel show, right? Yeah. I'm sorry <laughs> the, I haven't a British. clue. Followed sorry, by, I'm please, British. you should ask someone else. Yes. <laughs> please let <laughs> me go. Please. <laughs> I mean, BBC. I guess I click on BBC. Because mm. that's British. I'm going to click on that. That's we have that we is... have been to a, a and large amount. Wonders if this is going to be a two-click of television network uh, stuff. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what we're doing. Oh, uh, Stephen just came here, uh, came in here, and he just looked at the at the screen and walked away after nodding. Because it's not Zelda. No, no, Get it's not Zelda. Zelda. <laughs> Find them, a, find them. Co, co, what are they called? Koroks? Koroks? Koroks, yeah. He says, he says go looking for Koroks. Stephen I love nods. looking for Koroks. Um, all right. I'm going to say, oh, man. See, here's the thing, Sky, because you went one of the ways I was considering. And then the other thing, <laughs> this is actually dangerous because Stephen is here and will correct me. But uh, I... The other thing I think about uh, James Bond, it makes me think of like the music of James Bond. And I want to go towards yeah. saxophone because I feel like that's a possibility. But also mm. just pop music might be a good choice, too. Not not jug band. I mean, one, it's not linked. I <laughs> It is. Once. Jug band is totally linked. What? Really? Yeah, oh, it is. OK, well, you. <laughs> You called me out, but I'm not doing yep. it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh, man. Do I go trumpet or saxophone or pop music? Hmm. I mean, I could also go with violin concerto, but I mean, I don't think that's going to get me there. Let's say... 
Oh, this could be dangerous. Oh, let's just do popular music. That is dangerous. Things that Kyle knows nothing about. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, this page is enormous. Oh, boy. Yep. Yeah, you guys are both on uh, enormous pages right now. Great. Yep. Uh, our good old friend the BBC. my brains out and nothing's <laughs> working. <laughs> what else do I know about Judy Dench? <laughs> it was called as time goes as time goes by. Or Judy Dench saves me. Time goes, no, there's no it's neither of them. Damn it. <laughs> Uh, we're at the BBC I I really don't want to talk like when I went here I'm like I really don't want to talk about the BBC (laughs) so like it's the British public service broadcaster we've talked about PBS did we talk about the Canadian one too what CTV we We have been on like all like the like the local access networks like NBC like I don't know why we end up here so much but uh, man I, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> nice <laughs> cultural significance. Um, I just, I just want you to know that there is a, oops, sorry, a part of the BBC called CBBS. What is that for younger children? Is it just children of British broadcasting? Is that all it is? I guess it's just, it's just called CBBS. <laughs> oh. Under okay. attitudes towards the BBC and popular culture, uh, says that older domestic UK audiences often refer to the BBC as the Beeb, <laughs> a nickname wow. usually coined by Peter Sellers. Nice. Uh, he referred to it at, as the Beeb Seeb. Oh. Because. I, Wait. I don't know why. So he actually added something to it. Yeah, I don't know why. Hmm. But yeah. Um, another nickname now co- less commonly used is is uh, Auntie uh, or Auntie. Yeah, since said to originate from the old fashioned Auntie knows best attitude or the idea of aunties and uncles uh, who are present in the background of one's life, but possibly a reference to the aunties and uncles who preso- who presented children's programs in the early days. In the days when John Reith, the BBC's first general or director general, was in charge. The two nicknames have been used together as Auntie Beeb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it says it here cultural significance. I've got a few links. Uh, it says that it's one of the main elements in British popular culture. I could click on British popular culture. Then uh, they list uh, examples of television series that do not help me, including mm-hmm. Civilization, which I've never heard of. Doctor Who. There's I, Claudius. There's Monty Python's Flying Circus. Hot Black and Tonight. Um. Oh my gosh. Dame Judy Den should be like the thirteenth Doctor. <sighs> yeah, she I don't would disagree. hate that. Yes, yeah. she would. Yes, she would. <laughs> one hundred greatest. So one hundred greatest British television programs is linked here, but I'm afraid that's just going to be a, a list, um, which is no good. <laughs> Probably yes. <laughs> I think I'm going to click on British popular culture. Oh my oh, gosh. Wow. This is so, right be now, just technically, at this moment in time, uh, Kyle is on popular music and the sky is on British popular culture. I Specifically, mean, the culture of the United Kingdom is what, this, what oh, I'm on now. I mean, they can't possibly, I, it has to be stated that way, Sky. I mean, that's the most oh, proper way possible. I know. To say that. 
Okay, well, popular music is not what I thought it was. Actually, this is kind of... <laughs> is it? So, has it ever been? Ooh. This page kind of has a little bit of an argument. I feel like someone has stumbled onto this page. Someone who felt very strongly about popular music is, uh, you know, stumbled on this page. And someone else who felt strongly a different way also came on here. I feel like we're in the middle. I feel like I'm seeing this page in the middle of, like, a small war. <laughs> of uh of citations because this first paragraph has like a dozen citations in it oh yeah and then there are marks for excessive <laughs> citations so hold on if popular music is music with wide appeal this is cited three times that's that phrase not even the full sentence but that phrase popular music is music with wide appeal cited three times here three okay. people that agree with me that is typically distributed to large audiences through the music industry the, these forms and styles can be enjoyed and performed by people with little or no musical training cited. That's cited. Okay. Wow. Seems, seems like a diss. Uh, it stands in contrast to both art music cited three times excessive citations <laughs> and, tra and traditional or folk music that has no citations. <laughs> um, <clears throat> traditional music forms such as early blues songs or hymns are, are were passed down orally or to smaller local audiences uh, also cited three times with excessive citations like someone here. Okay. I'm going to go uh, a little bit further down. They have the opening sentence for uh, the definition of it. They, it starts with the word scholars have classified music as popular based on various factors. The word scholars is cited with weasel words. Like someone came in here and was like, nope, 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 this is no, this is not, this is popular music. Stop, stop, dis, stop misunderstanding this. Uh, we are going to have a, we are going to have an actual academic talk about popular music. Oh boy. And, and then they actually don't do that. Um, there is <laughs> the, uh, the there's a bit here about the development in North America and Europe uh, that actually has a fairly deep read to it um the most significant feature of the emergent popular music industry in the late of the late 18th and early 19th centuries was the extent of its focus on the commodity form of sheet music which is cited and i guess they're saying that's like the main thing about the, the u.s and europe how we interacted with sheet music or with music popular music anyway um it doesn't really uh let's see am amateur music making in the 19th century this is a very poorly uh, organized page, by the way, uh, in the 19th century, often <laughs> centered around the piano, and as this instrument could play melodies, chords, and bass lines, thus enabling the pianist to reproduce popular songs and pieces. I mean, can't most instruments? I, it, I, I feel like you can do that with a lot of instruments. Um, in addition to the influence of sheet music, which is a phrase you don't hear every day. Another factor was the increasing availability during the late 18th and early 19th century of public popular music performances in, quote, pleasure gardens and dance halls, popular theaters and concert rooms, end quote, citation. Is uh, this like the 12th time we've mentioned pleasure gardens in our podcast? I was, I was just about to say that. Like, it's not what you think it is. Um, let's see. Uh, one of the earlier popular music performers to attain widespread popularity was a Swedish opera singer, Jenny Lind, who toured the U.S. in the mid-19th century. Uh, 
Oh my gosh. In, in addition to living room amateur music making during the 19th century, what, hold on, I'm sorry. Living room amateur music making. That means that there weren't such thing as can can you imagine 18th century garage bands cuz that's what we're talking about here. Wow, that's pretty rad. Um more people began getting involved in music. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's just going out with like your I see now it, that feels very steampunk as I'm thinking about it, but I I'm I'm hoping more that it was just like some guy with a French to- French horn was like, "I I am not going to be told that I can't play this French horn." I, I paid for this thing. I'm going to play it with my friends. You're like, we're doing this. I feel like we've got a chance to hit it big. We're gonna gonna be as big as Jenny Lind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, people began getting involved in music during this era by participating in amateur choirs, joining brass bands, or part or playing in amateur orchestras. Citation needed again. Of course. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway. So they they actually also talk about um, uh, more global popular music, uh, Africa and Asia. Actually, China's got a specific pullout here. In a study involving young students in Shanghai, youth find that they listen to both. They enjoy listening to both Chinese or other Asian nationalities and then also Anglo-American popular music. Uh, They don't cite this study here, which would be a good thing to do. But, you know. Um, apparently that's been a trend in China to enjoy, um, to, you know, also listen to American pop music as, as well as Chinese, which is kind of interesting. Uh, oh, I guess the Chinese television industry started pulling a lot from American music. It looks like in the eighties, um, just to create more content. It looks like, Mm -hmm. all right, this did not get me any closer because I was thinking like pop music. As opposed to popular music, which are two different things. Citation needed. Mm, lots of citations. Uh, man. How are you going to get out of this war zone, Kyle? The thing is, like, I've got I've got like a bunch of other options, like very specific weird options. Like they have the bridge of the song is linked here. They have uh, capitalism. That's linked here. Uh, there's oppression and subculture. There's the twelve bar blues. <laughs> is that like is that like um twelve <laughs> musical bars or when you go to twelve bars because you're it's, feeling really depressed? It's both too. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh oh hold on. Another factor which helped disseminate popular music was the introduction of talking pictures or sound films in the late nineteen twenties. I know this is a long shot, but it's at least films <laughs> and there's sound involved. So I'm clicking on sound film. Okay. Going to the talkies. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's go into the culture of the United Kingdom. Uh, so cultural of the popular United Kingdom, Britain. <laughs> Oh boy! I wrote some things down. The United as Kingdom, I, one of the world's most popular united things. I wrote some things down as I as I skimmed. Uh, chicken chicken uh, tikka masala served atop rice is an Anglo Indian <laughs> meal, and it is among the UK's most popular dishes. Dunking a biscuit became a popular British custom in the Victorian era. Can you guess what the number one pet in Britain is? What? What? What's is the number one pet? 
That's just Prince on? Charles, like the one that had oh. oh, the ones that like like <laughs> I'm really besides myself. Like the ones that have the most. <laughs> like that's not a that's not the phrase I want. Uh, like like the the most popular pet in terms of like how many people have them. I mean, I'm gonna say corgis. <laughs> Specifically, corgis. Yes, corgis. Uh, rabbits. Wow, that's not too bad. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, the first, thanks, guy. the first one is fish. They have over forty what? million fish, and then in parentheses, oh indoor and outdoor. Oh my gosh! I am so glad they specified. Uh, followed by that's forty million. Holy crap! I didn't realize how on. how how on top they were. Forty million Hold fish. On. What? You're wait indoor and outdoor. It's just they're just collecting that. Can you tell what other fish are there? They are either indoor or outdoor. <laughs> there are not. Are there other fish and I'm just not well, am I thinking of this wrong? I'm guessing they're thinking like, oh, well, if they have like a pond and they have a fish in it, they're counting that as a pet. Which now <laughs> seems really dumb to me. Like, it's yeah. not a pet. <laughs> no wonder like, they have I so have, many. I have fish sticks in my freezer, but I don't call them a pet. <laughs> uh, next is dogs, uh, around 8 million. And then cats, also around 8 million. Then rabbits, about 1 million. And then birds, about 1 million. And then in parentheses it says indoor. (laughs) Only indoor birds. Only indoor birds. Because if you have an outdoor pet bird, you don't anymore. (laughs) Like you don't have a pet bird. <laughs> that bird gone. That bird gone. He's, he's out. He's he's just a bird. See ya. That's Clancy's bird, just yes. a bird now. He's gone. He's not gonna he's eat any more your biscuits. He's free. He'll only fly away. Oh, that's beautiful. He don't know where his heart is. Oh my gosh. He don't know where this. his soul is. I love the I but that means I I guarantee hmm. there's someone in in well, I mean someone in the uk probably just on odds but someone somewhere who's like those birds that are out in that tree is like oh yeah they're my pets we're friends yeah the ones that we <laughs> feed at the bird feeder yeah yes oh my gosh uh the the subheadings of this page are outrageous i mean they have like literature they have theater they have music and then they have patriotic songs they have folk music christmas carols and they have the rms titanic music oh uh, what yeah, written by Sarah Flower Adams in 1841, the Christian hymn Nearer My God to Thee is associated with the sinking of the RMS Titanic, as some survivors oh, yeah. later reported that the ship's string ensemble played the hymn as the vessel sank. I, they apparently need to call it out here. Um, it talks about Wallace uh, Hartley. He's the ship's band leader, and he like really liked the song, and they even played it at his funeral. And uh, it says that his violin was recovered and sold at auction in 2013 for... Uh, nine hundred thousand pounds. Oh my gosh! Nuts. Yeah. So then they go on. They have popular music here. Uh, they have broadcasting, print, visual arts, design, architecture, uh, and then folklore, and then witchcraft. Whoa, what, what, hold on, what? Witchcraft <laughs> is down. Yeah. Um, it's the last thing kind of listed before the national parks. Says that it's featured in the British Isles for millennia. The use of a crystal ball is attributed to the Druids to foretell the future. I they talk about Merlin. They talk about Macbeth. I mean, I guess it makes sense. It's just a weird thing to come after. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the British honor system. Like, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. 
But uh, if I search for James Bond, <laughs> well, I mean, and, out, and also not like well, I guess like I, it is separate, but it's like here's our stories, and then here's the real stuff, right? <laughs> and then yes. Wiccans. Uh, the James Bond film series began in the early 1960s. Sean oh, Connery wait, in the leading role. That's not a surprise. I'm gonna click on the James Bond uh, film series, and it takes me to James Bond in film. Crap. I guess he can be in other films. <laughs> I suppose a James Bond in real life. Yeah. Well, in books, probably. But oh, yes. that's true oh, right. Too. Correct. Indoor, indoor slash outdoor that. James Bonds. Yeah, sure. All right, Kyle. Uh, sound film. Oh, no. Sky, you just. Oh, you're so much closer than me now. Um, all Did right, you try well, searching Miss Money Penny in here? I mean, no, but. <laughs> <laughs> My my guess is it's probably not on here considering it covers the entire transition period. Although although maybe they consider the transition period going up through the beginning of the James Bond film, so I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, uh, a sound film is a motion picture with synchronized sound or sound technologically coupled to image, as opposed to a silent film. Uh, this is interesting. I didn't realize uh, that. I didn't realize it was this old. Rather, I guess. Oh my gosh! Wait, what year was the slide whistle? Eighteen forties. Okay, the slide whistle was not fifty years old, or well, well, no, it was a little. It was about sixty years old when the first known public exhibition of projected sound films took place. So the slide whistle was already losing its its uh, its stage. Not not a hundred years out. Um, but it still came first. I suppose that's fair. Yes, the slide whistle Illuminati. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the first known public exhibition of projected sound films took place in Paris in 1900, but decades passed before sound motion pictures were made commercially practical. Reliable synchronization was difficult to achieve with early sound on disc systems and amplification and recording qualities were also inadequate. Uh, innovations in sound on film led to the first commercial screening of short motion pictures using the technology or using that technology uh, with which took place in 1923. Which, I mean, it's not, uh, they don't actually have it here. The first feature film originally presented as a talkie was The Jazz Singer, but it's not the first one that had sound, and I'm not seeing it on here. There was another earlier one that was not, or like they used some sound for just like one or two words, but it wasn't a talkie. Okay. Uh, the way that we the way hmm. that we think about it, I'm I'm not seeing it here. Was it just like a grunty? <laughs> yeah, kind of. But that's actually not what I want to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about how um, I want to talk about Japan's transition to sound films. So uh, during the 1920s and 30s, Japan was one of the world's two largest produ- producers of motion pictures. It says here. And though the, count, the country's film industry was among the first to produce both sound and talking pictures, the full changeover uh, was a lot slower than it was in the U.S. Um, so the first, let's see, uh, the it showed up earliest uh, in a 1926 film, but it took a while longer, uh, really until the mid to late 30s before they before other places really started taking on. Do you know why? Mm, no <laughs> nope so there was a tradition in japan in uh in films anyway <clears throat> in any theater you had a 
Well, I'll just read this. The enduring popularity of the silent medium in Japanese cinema owed in great part to the tradition of the benshi, a live narrator who performed as accompaniment to a film screening. Yeah. Uh, As director Akira Kurosawa later described, the benshi not only recounted the plot of the films, they enhanced the emotional content by performing the voices and sound effects and providing evocative descriptions of events and images on the screen. The most popular narrators were stars in their own right, solely responsible for the patronage of a particular theater. My my favorite one is the honey badger guy. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what it is. Yeah, uh, that goes back. I mean, like, there's like a traditional like art of like storytelling that's very similar to that. Oh, sure. In Japan, that's oh, totally kind of like narrating things for you, just that there's that's not a so screen, great. but doing it yeah. as like. It's not like they're just narrating it as like uh, the voice of the film, if that makes sense, but as like a person, I, like a real person talking to you and telling you a story. I, I, I mean, I love this idea. I would totally go to a film where someone was doing this. I only know I, that because there's an anime about it. <laughs> oh, no, no kidding. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything you know nowadays <laughs> comes from slice of life anime. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, Sky. I mean, it's what not is this that slice of called? life. It's pretty. It's pretty competitive. No, no. Uh, what, what, what's this one called? I can't remember. I'm gonna text Candace. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to know. Is it? Is it like the 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 story of a benchy like trying to fight against the the talkie system? Because that would actually be kind of compelling. Uh, because apparently it took a while. Uh, here's the other the other end of it. Because uh, because Benchy were so popular, uh, it took the studios in order to uh, spread out the capital costs of changing to a sound system. Like they had to start cutting the uh, they had to start cutting the the salaries of Benchy, which means that if you had a really good narrator, they would just walk, and they took their audiences with them. <laughs> Dang. Oh, sweet. So you had to find a way to, you know, make enough money and not, lo- not you know, tick off your star and uh, very slowly start replacing parts and, and, you know, make the conversion over to a sound system. And even then, uh, a lot of the or some of the um, the theaters, even with sound systems, they kept Benchy around for a while. So, uh Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's I think it's great. I I really love the idea of this. It it looks like it really wrapped up about in the you no know, mid nineteen thirties, but just this idea is pretty cool. I I would actually still do this. It, would you guys go to a theater where you had a a person? I I suppose we would specify it's a silent movie, but would you go to a theater with a silent film where someone was describing and doing the voices of the of the story? Yep, that sounds like a good mm-hmm. time. Yeah, whether I mean, or not it's it straight try. or not, like <laughs> if they, you know, if they riff it a little bit, then that's fine by me. All right, because I, I mean, I already pay to watch people do that for talkies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. a fair point. Uh, I think um, I've read other articles on this before, and uh, I believe I think it really kind of was that like the really good ones. Not only did they have a like a voice. But they they had like a storytelling style that kind of did asides and things like that to the audience. Um, all right. Oh man, this 
page is ridiculous though. There's so many options and I'm not, uh, I mean, somehow James Bond is not on this, this page somehow. Um, I know like what's the next closest thing. Oh man. I I mean, <laughs> they've got steam. You know, what's, you know, what's here. funny <laughs> is that, uh, they do mention a film here called M. Oh, no kidding. Just M. I missed that. Which would, uh, I mean, cause I'm, I'm not surprised you missed it cause it's just one letter. Right. And it's, you know, <laughs> don't really see links that are one letter long. Uh, Tim, there, we're keeping the uh, slide whistle thing alive though, because steamboat Willie's on here. Oh yeah. Oh man. I'm telling Ooh. you it's everywhere. Kyle. <laughs> yes. Candace yes. got back to me with the name of that anime. And I know why I forgot it. It's called <laughs> Shawa Genroku Rakungo Shinju. Oh, that oh, one. Oh, that one. And Rakugo is like the the storytelling uh, art that they, they practice. Okay. I was oh, hoping that they would the... call them like banshe like but they don't. They're not oh, banshees. Um yeah. Okay, so, let's see. Well, sorry, that's, that's, sorry to interrupt. No, no. I, I am glad to know. I I kind of wish it had more. Oh, hold on. 1930s. How how far does this go? Okay, no. Just to the end of the 30s. I was going to say, if I if, if maybe they talk about sound quality, which we get into like the se- 60s and 70s, like that could be good. <laughs> but no. Oh, man. There's just... Mm, I'm not seeing a lot that I can really work with. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Clara <Yeah>. Bow, there's <laughs> uh, Alfred Hitchcock, there's, oh, Lillian Gish. She's a local local celebrity from, for Ohio. Actually, my, my, my area of Ohio. Uh, there's not a... I mean, uh, do, do you want to talk about her, Kyle? What? Do you want to talk about her? Sure. Because yes. you can click on her and get a chance because Sky is on James Bond. Kyle. Oh, right. Yeah, totally forgot. <laughs> totally forgot. Yep. Go ahead. I'm clicking on Lillian Gish because I can. And because Sky's about to win. Uh, James Bond in film is a poop page. It's a poopy <laughs> page that I don't like. Oh, no. Because all it is is like... Who who directed and produced this one? And then Sky. what what crazy like corporate shen- like shenanigans happened during the you know filming of You Only Live Twice? Um, <laughs> corporate shenanigans. Yeah. When did filming commence on You Only Live Twice? Uh, and then they had to move to Japan on the twenty seventh July. Okay, I know you're you're British who you know you know who's writing this, thank you. On twenty seventh July for six weeks oh, of nice. filming. Nice. Local Japanese interest in the film was high. And the crew had to <laughs> contend with loud with large loud and large crowds throughout the process. Oh boy. Uh, Connery, however, was somewhat resigned to the product, lacking the enthusiasm he sported for Thunderball. Like, okay, cool. (laughs) I mean, once you're in something called Thunderball, it's hard to, like, go up from there. A press conference on his arrival had had been tense, quote, soured by aggressive questioning of Connery's crumpled, jet-legged appearance, unquote. Wow. Whoa. That's that's rough. Mm Mm-hmm. 
uh there this just goes on about every single one of these like this wow yeah mm, yep first unit filming began on 10 august 1982 for octopussy at the berlin wall it's like okay cool i searched money penny not on here um i think i need to go i think i'm gonna click on a series of books because then that takes me to lists of oh that's a list of james bond novels and short stories that's not what i want there's no just like james bond in general you know like (laughs) hmm. Mm. maybe i click on a specific one maybe i go to like dr no and then they talk about and they'll mention money penny in there because i can't remember i was trying to think of like one like where money penny was a big part of it but i can't i don't remember um there's only one i like remember her saying things <laughs> i mean i know she says things you right. know like a lot of them but I, like there's only one i like i remember her like what she actually said which is sad i'm Oof. gonna go to dr no just because i'm like maybe they'll say like this is the first you know showing of money penny or something and it's like yeah of course it is like well, I mean, it's the first, <laughs> it's the first one i'm gonna click on <laughs> dr no good luck Best of luck to you on that. Yeah, right. best of luck. Thanks. So, uh, well, because I thought we were going to be done, I clicked on Lily and Gish. And yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of badgered you into that. I'm sorry. Thanks, Tim. Thanks. You're no, welcome. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's cool. I can make something of this. Uh, Lillian Diana Gish was an American actress of the screen and stage, as well as a director and writer whose film acting career spans 75 years, from 1912 in silent films. Silent Film Shorts to 1987. Um, Oh, I didn't know this. Gish was called the first lady of American cinema and is credited with pioneering fundamental film performing techniques. That's cited? Wow. Um, She was a prominent film star of the 1910s and 20s, particularly associated with the films of director D.W. Griffith, including her leading role in the highest grossing film of the silent era, Griffith's seminal The Birth of a Nation. Oh. So there you are. Um, Okay, so she's a local celebrity for here. She's not from here. Uh, well, of course. I mean, Mas- Maslin spe- specifically, which is not far too far from where I am. Um, she came, she was born in uh, Springfield, Ohio, which is not, I, I mean, also not there. However, throughout her history, uh, okay, according to the, the little uh, trivia at the bottom here, a street in Maslin, Ohio is named after Gish, who had lived there during an early period of her life and fondly referred to it as her hometown throughout her career. Maslin, Maslin uses that phrase as saying that it is her hometown, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. Yeah, that's nice. Um, I want to, there's a bit here that I did not think of. Um, two, two, two. They're talking about in the uh, where's the transition from from silent films to talkies. Uh, she was not she she worked in that. Uh, uh, okay, here we are. Her debut in talkies was only moderate, moderately successful, largely due to the public's changing attitudes. I didn't know anything about this. Many of the silent era's leading ladies, such as Gish and uh, Pickford, which I think was Mary Pickford, if I remember right had been wholesome and innocent, but by the early 1930s, after the full adoption of sound and before the motion picture production code was enforced, these roles were perceived as outdated. The ingenue's diametric opposite, the vamp, was at the height of its popularity. 
Gish was increasingly seen as, quote, a silly, sexless antique, unquote. Ouch. To, yeah, yeah. This That's like, that's like some shaming that should not be happening. That's kind of gross. Uh, to quote, uh, quote Louise Brooks' sarcastic summary of Gish's, Gish's criticism. That's a really hard phrase to say. Gish's criticism. Uh, yeah, apparently, like, that's a thing that happened. That's terrible. Uh, let's see. Um, she acted on the stage for the most part in the 1930s and 40s, appearing in roles as Ophelia in Guthrie's McClintic, Guthrie McClintock's Landmark production of Hamlet, and Marguerite, oh my gosh, in a limited run of uh, La Dama uh, Camellias, I guess, of uh, Ophelia, uh, she said, uh, Gish said with pride, I played a lewd Ophelia, end quote. So, huh, there's a lot of finding ourselves going on there. Mm-hmm. That's a little, little weird, little, little gross. Um, hmm, hmm. Now I'm trying to find a thing that is not on this page because I can't do it. Let's see. Um, how am I going to get to James Bond from here? Maybe was, I, she a, was she a Bond girl? No, she was not. I mean, I could just click on like the birth of a nation <laughs> and start from there. <laughs> That's real. I mean, oh, oh, I wonder... James Bond has to run uh, run against the motion picture production code at some point. I'm clicking that. Okay. Going to the code. Done. Doctor No. It's the first James Bond film. Yeah. Came out in 1962. It's based on the 1958 novel of the same name by Ian Fleming. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, he's no, sent to Jamaica no, to investigate no. the disappearance of a fellow British agent. And he meets people and kills people. <laughs> <laughs> Makes love to people. Makes love to not, people. Not in that order. Mm. <laughs> it was produced on a low budget and was a financial success, though. Critics' uh, reactions were mixed. Uh, but over time, the film has gained a reputation as one of the series' best installments. Uh, the film was the first successful series of 24 Bond films. I think that's still... There's 24 now? Has that been updated? Um, I'm sure it's been updated. <laughs> uh, yeah, it also I launched like a, it a genre of secret agent films and that flourished in the 1960s and mm. is the reason that we have all the Austin Powers films. <laughs> uh, you had to mention that, that didn't you? Yeah. Is that cited? <laughs> Austin Powers was like my favorite movie back in the day. That explains a lot. There's a lot wrong with me. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Many of the iconic aspects of a typical James Bond film, you know, just your run of the mill (laughs) James Bond (laughs) film were established in Dr. No. The film begins with an introduction to the character through the view of a gun barrel and a highly stylized main title sequence, both created by uh, what Maurice Binder. Is that Maurice? That's Maurice, right? Sure. For a second, yes. I thought like, oh, it's a British name. It's going to be different, like how they say "aunt," but everything's oh, yeah. everything's fine. <laughs> uh, production designer Ken Adam should get credit for establishing an elaborate visual style that is one of the hallmarks of the film series. So there we are. 
Yeah. Uh, there's a guy that worked on this film, and his last name is Broccoli, which ends mm-hmm. up with a lot of <laughs> a lot of sentences like this. Broccoli had originally hired Richard uh, Malbum and his friend Wolf Manoquiz. Manoquiz. Man, Man, Mankowitz, there we go, to write yeah. names, to write Dr. No's screenplay, partly because of Man, Manowitz's help in brokering the deal between Broccoli and Saltzman. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, you get stuff like that. Um, you know, it talks about the film and how James oh, Bond I'll is bet, a thing. I'll bet if uh, if they broke that deal up, uh, Broccoli would be kind of steamed, though. Oh, yeah, I bet he would be. Okay, sorry. I just had to and if you, side. Hopefully he was blanched first so his color came out. <laughs> right? Thank you. Right? Thank you. Tim, uh, you got one? You gonna do it? I'm sorry? Tim! What? No, you when you were talking to me and then you kind of like faded out. Oh no, I, 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 I thought you were gonna do a broccoli joke too. I thought we were gonna oh, do no. this as a, as a group. Sorry, no, I don't, I don't make fun of people's last names. <laughs> oh. No. Oh. <laughs> I mean, the broccoli and Saltzman does sound kind of delicious. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, I'm reading about the introduction of James Bond, and uh it talks about how he's introduced towards, but not at, the beginning of the film in the now famous nightclub sequence featuring Sylvia Trench. Um, Okay. Uh, To whom he makes his uh, immortal introduction, quote unquote. Uh, it says that he, you, it, this, it like is, you know, derived from the book and Fleming said that about the scene that, um, he used it because skill at gambling and knowledge of how to behave in a casino were seen as attributes of a gentleman, mm. which is just mm, great. That's just, yep. okay. Yeah, I guess. Sure. There is the most important gesture in the way he lights his cigarette before giving her the satisfaction of an answer. Okay. Mm. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Uh, differences between the Doctor No movie and the film. Major elements from the novel that are missing from the film include Bond's fight with a giant squid. I what? wonder why that was cut out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, uh, and the escape from Doctor No's complex using the dragon disguised swamp buggy. That was cut you out. You know what? Um, Reading the reading the plot of James Bond films, <laughs> you, you start to kind of realize just how ridiculous. How <laughs> bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, elements of the novel that were significantly changed included the use of a non-venomous tarantula spider instead of a centipede. Oh, my gosh. I, I remember that scene. Uh, Dr. No's secret complex being disguised as a bauxite mine instead of a guano quarry. <laughs> uh, Dr. No's plot to disrupt NASA space launches from Cape Canaveral using a radio beam instead of disrupting U.S. missile testing on Turks Island. The method of Dr. No's death by boiling and overheating reactor coolant rather than a burial under a shoot of guano. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, da, 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 da. <laughs> Slide whistle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, it does list the cast here. And it says Lois Maxwell as Miss Money Penny, the secretary to M. Money oh. Penny is linked. Yep. Oh, thank God. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. Hooray. All you right. Did it. Congratulations. Did you want to talk about codes at all, Kyle? I mean, just that this is a. I, it, it's worth reading about someday if you ever want to 
read about this old the the original code uh, from the 1920s because they had they had a lot of things a lot of uh, well okay yeah you couldn't use I mean there are the obvious things that were a time and place and all, and completely gross and disgusting which you weren't allowed in movies in 1927 to portray um, white slavery specifically but only white slavery which gross what. Yep, specifically that one, just that. Uh, right beneath that one in the code, uh, you could not portray uh, sex relationships between black and white people in 1927. So that's gross. Uh, but among the less, I guess, sensical, uh, sensible things, and, and like, all right, you couldn't ridicule the clergy. Like, that was a thing. And you weren't allowed at any point mm. to um, to show uh, any. You weren't allowed to make any crime look uh, uh, look like it was positive in, in, in any way, which uh, caused a lot of problems. I'm only going to mention down here that um, people were talking about even as it was um, even as it was enacted. Uh, they were. They said. <clears throat> Uh, this was a period in which the Victorian era was sometimes ridiculed as being naive and backward. When the code was announced, the liber liberal periodical The Nation attacked it. The publication stated that if crime were never to be, pre be presented in a sympathetic light, then taken literally, it would mean that law and justice would become one and the same. Therefore, events such as the Boston Tea Party could not be portrayed. Hmm. Uh, uh, if clergy must be always presented in a pos positive way, then hypocrisy could not be de dealt with either. So, and then, uh, this, this is great anyway, but, uh, this code, you know, people were, weren't really excited about enforcing it, but then something else happened that completely destroyed it. The great depression of the 1930s led many studios to sink, seek income by any way possible. Since films containing racy and violent content resulted in high ticket sales, they made them regardless of the, of the code. So well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the there were other codes adopted later, and I mean they developed into you know what we know today. And there's there's more to go here, but this is an interesting interesting uh, bit of history to read. Uh, if you want to know, uh, this was developed by uh, a Presbyterian elder, so we mm. have we have that kind you know we have them to thank for this. Right. All right. Yeah. fantastic <laughs> well uh did you want to say anything about miss money penny uh she she's was at least she was at least character. proper proper uh, through all yeah. her films she's the secretary of m who is bond's boss and head of the british secret service uh mm -hmm. Lily has she has a small part in most of the bond films is always highlighted by the underscored romantic tension between her and bond Eh. Something that is virtually non-existent in Ian Fleming's novels, though is somewhat more apparent in the Bond novels by John Gardner and Raymond Benson. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, they probably picked on it from the or picked up on it from the movies, I suppose. <laughs> they, they picked yeah. on Ian Fleming. They're like, oh Ian, like, oh, come you on. don't want the secretary having a hot for bad. Oh. I mean, that's 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 respectable and okay, but alright. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, so, Lucas. a quote by Lois Maxwell. Yeah. 
the the actress who originally played her. Of course she's in love with Bond, but she's too much a lady to go chasing after him. So she smiles and bides her time. In a way, you can't blame her. Every woman would want like to live dangerously with James Bond, if only for 20 minutes or half a night. Whoa. I'm like, eh. <laughs> Dang, <Lose. laughs> Like, like you, 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 I mean, this is probably like when only the first movie was out. And then like you see the, the remaining 23 movies and you're probably like, I probably don't want to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... There, there's a pretty high mortality rate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Money Penny has assist has an assistant in Spyfall. Oh no! In the what? film Octopussy, here we go. Money Penny has an assistant named Pen- Penelope Smallbone, who appears uh-huh. to be an equally smit who appears to be equally smitten with Bond, despite a thorough briefing on the subject by Money Penny. Intended as either a foil or a replacement for Money Penny, Smallbone appears only that once because you have an assistant for an assistant in a movie that's about explosions. <laughs> like, maybe we don't need Smallbone. Maybe she. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that didn't that didn't kind of stick. Yes. Right. In yeah, the original film, I don't got anything. In the original film version of Casino Royale, actress Barbara Boucher plays M's current secretary. And explains to Sir James Bond upon their first meeting that she's actually Miss Moneypenny's daughter. <gasps> she is referred to thereafter and in the closing credits as Moneypenny. Oh, that's that's kind of funny. Huh. That's the original film version, though. That's not the one. Oh, I see. Okay. With uh, Daniel Craig. I, I, you know, it, it, excuse me. I'm sorry. Moneypenny is my mother. You, you mean, <laughs> just call me Moneypenny. What? <laughs> I mean, that's the joke. Yeah, yeah, like I know. The, okay. Um, I know. I was saying Lois what Maxwell's, to you. I realized that's how it sounded after that. <laughs> after, after Lois Maxwell's death, Roger Moore recalled that she would have liked to have become the new M after Moore's retirement. She had suggested herself for the role of M, but had been turned down. Quote, I think it was a great disappointment to her that she had not been promoted to play M. She would have been a wonderful M. Wow. Jeez. Yep. I okay. that's I didn't know that. That would have been an, a really weird I mean that like that would have taken those movies to a t- an entirely different place. Let's see here. Oh. Um under her occupation thing on the uh on the listings, the sidebar, she says she's also a, a lieutenant RN and a former field agent. That's cool. Oh, dang. I want to know I want to know about her out in the field. Well, I want to see some money penny might. stories. There Ooh. might there might be a current film that you could watch where she is out in the field. It, she she's in she's in one of the movies out in the field in in one of the new Daniel Craig ones. Oh, in Skyfall she is, yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. But I yeah. want to know about the older stuff. Oh, yeah, that too. That would have been right. pretty awesome too. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, that should do it for tonight. Thank you for joining us as we go from slide whistle to money penny. <laughs> uh, if you would like to listen to more of our podcast, uh, feel free to do so on iTunes. Uh, we can also be found on uh, Google Play now, which is great. I've been using that more often. Uh, I've been actually using my phone instead of my old iPod. I continue to evolve. Wow. You're stepping into the future, Tim. Yeah, well, my car now has like the Bluetooth connector thing, mm. and my phone actually sounds better on it than hooking up my iPod, which is amazing. <laughs> nice. And it's like invisible and magic. 
I mean, and I don't understand it. Magic, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of fear it a little bit, but mm. uh, it also gives me a sense of awe. Uh, so anyway, you can also find us on Twitter at uh, WSKBcast. Uh, also on Facebook at uh, We Should Know Better. Just search that up. Uh, please leave us a review if you are so inclined. Uh, let us know uh, how we're doing and uh, maybe a few things you'd like to see us try to cover or get to. That'd be fun. That would be pretty fun. Yeah. Um, anything else that either of you would like to mention tonight? I had, a, I had a friend mention to me the other day. I got to talk about this uh, podcast, our, you know, our podcast um, in a in a chat the other day with a couple friends. And one of them asked, asked, well, what do you do? And <laughs> I linked them to the newest website or to the newest episode on our website. And I, I said, well, just, you know, just listen to it. We, we play the Wikipedia game. And uh, he he uh, he listened. He he was silent for a couple moments, <laughs> and then uh, a couple minutes later, uh, just replied, uh, "The best. I mean, the very best dis- description of our podcast I've ever heard was, um, I listened to almost four full minutes of it. It's a really interesting concept. Period. Okay, thank you. I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's about that's uh, yep." That's right. I can, I can live with that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Nice. All right. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, you guys. Thank have you a for good making night. it farther than four minutes, <laughs> <laughs> listeners. Yeah, that's a record. Jeez. Yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> have a good night. Bye. High high praise. A passive aggressive (laughs) diss of our podcast. (laughs) What a thing to go off on. It was just really funny because I was like, okay. You know, like how how do I respond to that? Do I say like, oh that you know, like, oh thanks, or (laughs) like thanks, you know. (laughs) Like it was just a very it was just very funny. He's like, I listened to almost four full minutes of it. I'm like, okay. Like, That's, did he say it like he deserved a reward? <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> I listened to almost four whole minutes. Four minutes. And I'm recording at 48,000 hertz, right? Yeah. I'm recording at 48,001. Oh, dang. It's that one. You've got to put that one little extra hurt on there. <laughs> you got to put the hurt on. Yes.